0: Hello and welcome, everyone, to the Traction Stage podcast. Traction is what every founder in an early stage startup is looking for. It is the clear evidence that the market wants your product or service, and it's when things start getting bigger and better. I'm Alexandre Azevedo, and as your host, I'll interview startup entrepreneurs from all over the world to better understand which were the elements they've counted on and the challenges they faced before finding traction for their businesses. In today's episode, I'll interview Hilary miller Wise, founder of Tula. Hello, everyone. This is Alex again, and here we go to another episode of the Traction Stage podcast. Today, I'll interview Hilary miller Wise, which is the founder and CEO of Tula. Tula is a startup from Kenya that helps smallholder farmers by providing them credit on inputs, advisory services, and market linkage. So, hello and welcome to our show, Hilary. How are you today?
1: I'm good, thank you so much, Alex.
0: Great, awesome. So, thank you so much for accepting this interview and congratulations for Tula's success. And I want to start this interview by understanding uh, or by hearing from you uh, about what are the problems that Tula is solving today and what are the solutions it is providing to, to to the smallholder farmers to solve these problems? Sure. So
1: the problems that we're uh, solving for have to do with the the fact that smallholder farmers across Africa, um, of which there are about 50 million households that depend on smallholder agriculture, um, they're stuck in a, a poverty trap. And that trap really Um, has to do with the fact that they're producing well below capacity. Um, They struggle to get access to markets um, for the limited produce that they uh, do uh, grow. Um, And um, we think there are really four drivers of that poverty trap. Um, The first one is they can't get quality inputs when they need them. So things like fertilizer, seed, um, products like that. One of the reasons is that they don't have the cash when they want to buy it. Um, And so secondly, they also can't get access to loans um, to purchase those goods because the banks um, believe that they're too risky uh, of a customer. Third, they often don't have uh, good information and training on how to grow the crop, especially in a context of climate change, where they're having to to adapt their practices. And then finally, as what I mentioned, is access to market. Um, typically, these farmers will wait for a, a, a broker to come to the farm and offer them a throwaway price, uh, and the farmer really doesn't have any other alternative. So those are the challenges uh, that we're tackling on the continent.
0: OK, so we're talking about the input side. Uh, we're talking about loans and financing. We're talking about information and and about the markets, or getting access to the markets too. Uh, Let's understand now how Tula is providing a solution for these problems.
1: The way that Tula is tackling these problems is through a a marketplace. So we are what we call an online to offline marketplace for smallholder farmers to access the different goods and services that they need uh, to overcome those challenges. So what we do is um, we use technology uh, like uh, mobile technology, mobile money, like M-Pesa, which I'm sure some of your listeners are familiar with, um, artificial intelligence to enable buyers and sellers to transact more easily. Uh, So let me give you an example. Farmers can place an order with us for, let's say it's fertilizer. Um, At the same time, they can apply for a loan to purchase uh, the fertilizer. If they're approved for a loan, and we do our own loan assessment based on a number of different data sets, if they're approved, we send them uh, an SMS that has an electronic voucher, a code in it. They bring that code to the retail shop, and the retailer uses our application to fulfill the order. We're then paying the retailer for that stock. Um, So we're not dispersing the loan as cash to the farmer. It it comes in the form of inputs. And then, of course, the farmer has to pay us back um, over the season. Similarly, on the market linkage side, uh, we're predicting when farmers are going to harvest and how much they're expected to harvest. And right now, what we're doing is building chatbot technology to be able to communicate with them automatically to say, You know, we expect that you're going to harvest next week and it looks like you're going to get whatever, 50 bags of potatoes. Um, How much would you like to sell on the tulip platform? And so the farmers then give us bookings for what they want to sell and then we link them to wholesale buyers in urban markets.
0: So use a lot of data and a lot of technology to to really understand and facilitate their lives, too.
1: Yes, absolutely. So definitely, data, mobile technology, everything is done on mobile money. So there's no cash in the system at all. Um, and so for us, you know, when we think about going to new markets, we need to focus on markets where the use of mobile money is is relatively high. Wow,
0: well, excellent! Congratulations for for this initiative. And and actually, now I I want to understand how has this wonderful project started. How has this this startup and this initiative uh, started?
1: We started, uh, actually, the idea developed uh, when I was CEO of a different company. Uh, and we started to develop this the idea and then the platform um, inside of that business. We then, at a certain point at the shareholder level, decided to spin it out. Um, into a separate company. So that happened in July of 2017.
0: Okay, and, and this, this previous startup is Isoko, is right?
1: Correct, yep. And so Isoko is a, a pioneer in the use of mobile technology um, to reach smallholder farmers and uh, was primarily doing providing market information, agronomic information, um, and when i joined the goal was to try and get closer to the transactions that are happening in the supply chains uh, and so that's how we developed this concept which which eventually became tula
0: okay so everything started uh from the information side so you were providing uh in isoko at the time you were providing information you're trying to gather data and and then uh, you you spun off uh into two two companies one of one of them is Tula, and and then you started to, to get closer to transactions and and started uh, putting more influence in the lives of the, the, the smallholder farmers. Um, this how, how was the very beginning of this transition? I mean, how do you exactly, uh, or how was Tula platform in the very beginning? What kind of transactions were you aiming Uh, in July 2017?
1: Well, we started with the input side first. We knew we couldn't build everything at once. And the input side is a little bit more straightforward because it is a more structured supply chain. There are large brands uh, like Syngenta, Bayer, Yara, companies like that, uh, multinational companies who are then selling to distributors and the distributors then are supplying the retailers. So it's a bit more structured than the offtake side. So we decided to start there. Um, And initially our goal was to act as sort of like an honest broker across all transactions. So connecting buyers and sellers um, for every transaction, including the credit component. And so we were partnering with banks and MFIs and Uh, with the intention of bringing these qualified leads to the banks and MFIs um, to then finance. What we found is that that didn't really work. And there were a few reasons for that. Um, One is the customers that we were targeting, uh, we know now that 71% of our customers have never had input financing before. And so they're they're really not in the financial sector. Um, They're they're financially uh, uh, not included. And so, you know, part of what we're focusing on is financial inclusion. Um, The other reason is that um, the banks and MFIs have um, more, uh, let me say, you know, their processes are sort of a bit more set in stone, and it was taking a long time to make loan decisions. And the challenge that happens, especially with climate change, is that no one knows when the rains are going to start. This year, for example, the long rain season, uh, the rain started six weeks late, um, which is really unusual. And so farmers are very rational. And what they do is they wait until the rain starts, and then they all go to try and get the inputs at the same time. And they have, you know, say a three or four week window um, to plant. And so by taking, you know, weeks to make a loan decision, it means that a lot of farmers were missing out. Um, So we then decided that Because we had the relationship with the customer, we had the data on them and we were seeing that the customers were having some of the customers were having a bad customer experience uh, with the banks and MFIs. We decided that we needed to to do this ourselves. Um, So that's a big shift. One of the one of the bigger shifts that happened um, uh, since we started. Uh, we then launched the market linkage, which is the last piece, um, in November of last year. So we've been doing that for about six months now.
0: And t- tell me a little bit more about what you've brought uh, regarding working with uh, with the basis of the pyramid, because you you must have uh, faced several challenges when you see some people that, uh, as you have mentioned, uh, are not used or have never. Uh, got a loan or, or don't have uh, financial inclusion. So what are other challenges you faced and, and how did you overcome them?
1: And you mean specifically with the farmer customers, right?
0: Yes, yes. Uh, I mean, with this market that uh, uh, has maybe not uh, as much as information as you would like them to have or, or things like that.
1: Well, one of the challenges across the board is just building trust. Um, most people in these markets, the relationships, transactions tend to be highly relationship-based, um, and so a new player coming into the market doesn't have any capital, right, with with the customers, and so you have to you have to build that um, in different ways. One is if you have partnerships where those partners are trusted by the farmers. And those partners are then introducing us um, to the customers. That tends to help quite a bit. So we do that uh, in some places by working through government, uh, government extension workers. In some places, there may be NGOs that are working with the farmers and, and have built up trust over years. Um, so that's one thing that we do. Secondly is you know obviously um, ensuring that we are following through on what we said we were going to do. Um, It has helped to have agents in the field that are from the communities that we're serving. So we have a multi-level marketing model where we've got um, essentially uh, sales teams who are uh, staff members managing commissioned agents uh, who are people from the communities, they're farmers, they're respected, they speak the local language. Uh, And that's been a really important approach for us to build that trust. Um, on the offtake side, on the market linkage side, it's the same. You have to build trust over time with the buyers. Um, there was a great example I saw the other day in one of the uh, wholesale markets. And these are just you know, huge open markets where um, big 10-ton uh, trucks are coming to sell their, sell their goods. Uh, and there were two trucks next to each other, and they were selling kale. And in about an hour and a half, one guy sold everything and the other guy hadn't sold a thing. And they were exact same quality. There was no difference between them. The only difference was no one knew the other guy. (laughs) No one knew uh, the guy who just pitched up and, you know, wanted to sell his truck. And they knew the one who sold in an hour and a half. And they knew that he could provide consistent supply. Um, They knew he wasn't going to cheat them. And so it's just a great example. And and the guy who didn't sell anything, his uh, he was trying to offer it at a lower price, uh, and it wasn't moving. So, you know, we we have to remember that in these markets, it's not just price and demand, price and <laughs> supply and demand that uh, yeah. that is at work. It's also uh, trust and experience and reputation.
0: Yeah, and and I was very curious to to ask you about the the marketing the strategies that you use because. When you when you see startups uh, launching nowadays, and we see you you have a lot of a lot of ways of reaching your customers, but when you're talking about uh, farmers, for example, that maybe and I I might be wrong, but maybe they they don't have the internet access or or the internet culture of of maybe going to social medias. I don't know. Maybe I'm really wrong here, but. Uh, uh, it, have you what kind of marketing strategies were you able to perform? Was this uh, agents and partners the only one, or could you develop this traction that you have today with other marketing strategies too?
1: The marketing strategies that we use are typically what's called below the line. So we're not doing, um, you know, radio campaigns and things like that. It's it's very mm-hmm. expensive and. Uh, it's not as effective. You don't. There's not this kind of value for money that you would want um, with this uh, customer base. And you know, even still, even if you could reach people through radio, particularly, uh, which is is a good uh, channel, there's still that trust element that you have to build. Um, and the you know, a radio advertisement is not going to do that. So, what we've done is, as I mentioned, through the partnerships that we have. Um, getting, Having different partners introduce us um, to farmers, um, explain what we, what we do, essentially vouch for us, right? Um, that is a really important approach. Um, we do with these commissioned agents in the field, as I mentioned, they are meeting with farmers every day, uh, communicating about what we do, how we work, what the terms are. Um, telling you know giving examples of other farmers who have benefited from this service and that's a very local level Um, you know we have to remember that many of these farmers they're they're all extremely vulnerable Um, they have you know a ton of risks that they can't um, effectively mitigate Um, and they have been exploited many times and so for good reason they're extremely risk averse Um, And you have to know that when you're when you're going in and trying to introduce a new new product or service.
0: Yeah. And and what about the monetization strategy? Uh, What are the revenue streams or the main revenue streams and and how is your business model organized to do that?
1: So we have uh, three revenue streams. The first is a margin that we make on the sale of the inputs the second is uh, the credit spread on the loans and then the third is a margin on the uh, trade transactions and the offtake transactions so the the variance between what the buyer pays us and what the farmer price is
0: okay so you are you are able to to have three different revenue streams uh which which can make the the business sustainable correct and 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 when you're trying to develop the platform, did you have the resources? did you have the, the, the funds and the people that you need uh, that you needed in that time to, to develop uh, this platform or, or this ecosystem or did you have to get it some somewhere else?
1: When we started we and when we spun out, um, we had some funds that were um, invested into the company. Uh, from investors that were in eSoco. Um, we then raised a seed round um, in, so it closed last year, and that was about $900,000. Um, we also had a grant from USAID um, of 500000 and that was vital to to us uh, getting off the ground in, in 2017. And, um, We are currently raising uh, more equity. Um, We have raised debt this year for the on-lending and we'll continue to be raising debt for that purpose as well.
0: Okay. Okay. Perfect. And uh, should we, should we expect that this wonderful work that Tula is, is doing with uh, smallholder farmers to be any other in, in any other countries or, uh, Mm. I don't know, this year or next year, what are your plans?
1: We definitely want to expand into other countries. The question is when. Um, So (laughs) we have our eyes on Uganda, um, which is a similar market to Kenya in the sense of um, the smallholder farmer sector, how it's structured, um, the relative uh, size of the population. Um, It also has high mobile penetration and penetration of mobile money, which, as I mentioned earlier, is really important for us, for our platform. So that's a very attractive market for us. Um, Other markets that could be attractive would be Tanzania. Um, Politically, Tanzania is a little bit challenging right now, so uh, we'll we'll most likely wait on that one. Um, You know, there are markets like Ethiopia, which we look at longingly because it's such a big market. Uh, And -hmm. there's so much opportunity. The problem is the mobile uh, uh, telephone industry is controlled by the government um, and mobile penetration is extremely low. Now, they just announced recently that they're going to be issuing licenses uh, for mobile services to commercial companies. So that's exciting because that means that um, the sector is probably going to grow faster than it has in the past. So you know, we we definitely watch markets like that quite closely.
0: Yeah, and 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 the world needs solutions like that uh, uh, that comes from technology, but actually solves really important problems for for everyone and for people that uh, who most need them. And finally, uh, Hilary, I would love to ask you um, a piece of advice that you would give to entrepreneurs that want to 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 make a difference in the world as you are doing through Tula, and what kind of things do you consider important when you're developing a startup in in these conditions, and 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 what kind of things would you say them?
1: Ah, oh, that's interesting. Um, I think to anyone who's thinking about starting a business, um, you know, it it takes a combination of uh, somewhat irrational exuberance, <laughs> to borrow a phrase, uh, combined with a bit of ego. Right? You have to have confidence in yourself that you can do it, um, with a very thick skin. <laughs> um, and so I think the question for anyone thinking about doing it is, you know, how do you, how would you score yourself on on those measures? Um, it, it is one of the most exciting things I've done um, in my life, but it is also humbling, more humbling than just about anything I've ever done. And so you you have to, you know, you have to take rejection a lot. You have to cope with failure a lot. Um, and you know, I think it was Steve Jobs that talked about perseverance being one of the factors that contributed most to his success. Obviously there were many more, but, you know, what he was saying, there were other people who were, you know, working on innovative technologies around the same time, um, but failed and or gave up. And we just refused to give up. Um, mm-hmm. And I think of that often when we're in sort of what's called the trough of despair. <laughs> <laughs> um, that, you know, that's really what separates uh, in, in many ways. Uh, mm-hmm. Those factors can separate the successful entrepreneurs from,
0: from the failed. Okay, excellent. excellent. great, great advice and great examples. And well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for sharing your experience as a CEO and founder and 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 all the sto- and all tools story, which would help uh, a lot uh, people that are trying to develop their own startups out there. And thank you so much. I wish all the best for you and for Tula.
1: Thank you so much, Alex.
0: Okay, thank you. Thank you, Hilary. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. And how about you? Did you like this episode? Please visit us at thetractionstage.com and leave your comment. There you will find all the episode's show notes as well as additional information about the founders and their startups. I'll wait for you there. Bye-bye.